Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ben Sternke, one of your co-hosts today, and I'm here with Matt, Tebby, and Christy Penley. Hey, guys. Hey. Mm-hmm. How's everybody doing? Great. Yep. I just <laughs> yeah. I just trimmed a turkey in the kitchen. You oh, did yeah, not. I, I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's trimmed not Thanksgiving, tur- man. It's okay, yeah, but here's, here's a hack. <laughs> Life hack. You ready? Okay. Um, turkey anytime you want. You go to the grocery store. The day after Thanksgiving, Ooh. Okay. when the when they mark the turkeys down to like twenty nine cents a pound, and you buy fourteen of them, oh. no, you just buy you buy you buy a couple, and you freeze it. Do you have a deep freezer? Uh, no, I don't. Oh. So you just you know, keep it in your regular, regular freezer. Mm-hmm. This may wow. this may be something my wife has talked to me about, Christy. Mm. Um, I'm on Sharon's side. Yeah, buy I know, her a deep I know. freezer. Anyway, uh, it only took to April to get that turkey out of there. So I pulled it out. I pulled it out on Monday, and you're supposed to like let it sit in the fridge for a week. And I'm um, I'm smoking a turkey on Saturday. Uh, today's Friday when we're recording. So I brought it out of the fridge and trimmed it up, and I'm gonna smoke it with some cherry wood. Pull a salt and pepper dry brine on there. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're making me hungry. This mm-hmm. I I've smoked one turkey before, and it was so. Much better than any turkey, even a deep fryer turkey. I hear you listeners already shouting at me. <laughs> it was so much better than any other turkey I'd ever had. I'm like, why? Why would I never not do this? Wait, how long does that take? <laughs> never not do this. Um, only do this for the rest of your life. <laughs> only do this for the rest of my life. Um, never it takes not, do it. not super long, like four to six hours to smoke it. So, and what, what do you smoke it in? You have a smoker. It's like a device. Yeah. I've got a device. Okay. Yes, uh, it is. It's it's a it's a grill Surrounded that I can also smoke on. It's called a PK three hundred and sixty, okay. and it's uh, I love it. I love PK this little thing, this little device. Mm-hmm. It is a device. It's it's a piece of technology. It's wonderful. Uh, it's yeah. great. Yeah, and Matt, uh, Matt, so I'm smoking smoke turkey tomorrow. Smoking stuff. Then uh, we're having a pastor friend over in a few weeks. Ben and I. I'm going to smoke a brisket. Probably. Mm-hmm. My dad's coming in town in May. I'll probably smoke another brisket. Okay, this your, makes this me is... want to buy this device for Paul for oh Father's gosh. Day. Oh my gosh. Right? That's, that's, I got it for Father's it? Day. La- okay, uh, t- he would, I bet ago. he'd love it. <clears throat> ben. Then Matt, you and Paul could uh, pal up on smoking tips. We've Matt, already got Matt a lot of bonds coming. with people on uh, <laughs> about smoking and all of this stuff. So, Yep. I yeah. um, 
it 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 is something I didn't know. I, I didn't realize how much I'd love it. Yeah. And knowing Paul and what he likes to get in, he likes to get into things. Yeah. And thoroughly dominate them. <laughs> <laughs> Like fly fishing, uh, totally. Yes. Yeah. Like fly fishing, uh, uh, he would. Pr- he would if he likes barbecue. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. all to say, he okay, would, you can't really great. like casually do it, right? You have to really you kind yeah, of have to get in. into it. Feels yeah, like. and it's the startup. The startup is a steep price. Anyway, I got done carving a turkey. I'm like talking on the phone to one of our prisoners, Ben. I've got like sterile gloves mm-hmm. on. Turkey juices everywhere in the kitchen. My wife mm-hmm. walks in and she's like. You are not leaving me to clean this up, and I was like, "You will not." Bye. Have an appointment. No, I didn't. I, <laughs> I have to record anyway, a podcast so intro. I got to record this intro, and then I go back downstairs <laughs> to the to salmonella outbreak <laughs> happening oh, in my yeah. kitchen and uh, finish cleaning it. Zo- yeah, yeah. Just go so, down. Just yeah. The zombies uh, are already there. Just be careful. Uh, well, it won't be contain. zombies as much as it'll be lower and upper gastrointestinal. <laughs> Uh, nobody, nobody needs any of those things. So. Nope. Yep. Not me. Holy cow. Okay, we need to move on from this. Yeah. All right, move on. Yeah. Next order of business. You know what doesn't uh, cause lower and upper gastrointestinal tsunamis? I don't think that's going to be a good segue. I'm just going to Attached mix to it. God, which is nope, coming up here. No? No? no, no. Come on. No. Uh, I can the, guarantee before we get to Before we get to oh, that, right. uh, I wanted to see what you guys thought. I put this quote in the curated links email. Uh, this this Friday, this past Friday, and I wanted to see what you guys thought of this, or if you saw this on uh, Twitter, wait, Hillary, wait, wait. Hillary McBride. Wait, what? Before you, go, I do need to say your mm-hmm. emails are awesome, oh, and thank you. I don't read emails <laughs> like I don't read full emails mm-hmm. very much. I'm, yeah. I feel a little shame right now saying that out loud to everybody. But <laughs> the, if you've ever sent Christine email. <laughs> And she never responded. I read responded. the first sentence. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. Like so many emails are like not worth the time, right? You're right. just like, oh my gosh. Yep. But your email, I do. I read it and I love it well, and it's you. good. Anyway, I'm just telling you that. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I do, I do give it some thought and I try to make it very helpful for people. So uh, <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm it grateful is. for that. I'm feeling good about myself right now, my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in the Christy. quote, you're great. The encourager. quote that Hillary, Hillary McBride. We'll yeah, read yeah. it for us. Yeah, yeah. So this, this, the email started uh, with this quote: "Spiritual trauma is someone handing you an inner critic and telling you it's the voice of God." Mm. It got kind of a lot of attention on Twitter, and I thought it was a, it was like the most pithy, kind of short description of. Man, I just think a lot of people <sighs> that uh, listen to this podcast, a lot of people that are in our training. Um, that's kind of the, describes their spiritual history. Yeah. Would you guys say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Right? I think one of the most transformational things that happens for people, some people in, in Gravity Leadership Academy, is they are able to separate mm-hmm. that voice from God's voice mm-hmm. for like the first time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And realize that all this distance they've put themselves, they put between themselves and God isn't actually God they're distancing themselves from, but right. it's that voice. Yeah. yeah, what I think a it can beautiful be, day! That I is. know because it, it can be so healing to realize because you know we we so we end up maybe maybe a way to put it is we end up gaslighting ourselves. Yes, because we think that we feel bad that we're distancing ourselves from God. Right? Yes. Well, that's not good. That's not a good mm-hmm. thing to do. Mm-hmm. But it's actually so healing sometimes for people to realize and actually distancing yourself from the voice of that inner critic 
Like that's a healing move. That's that's your that's your body and your soul saying, "I need something better. I need something more life giving." Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be such a yeah, such a beautiful uh, moment uh, or season of healing for people to untangle that inner critic from from God's voice. So, anyway, that's what a lot of our axioms are about. I was just reflecting on I reflected on this in the email, but like I think I think that's where uh, our axioms, our kind of foundational axioms. Um, come into play here is they are kind of short little memes almost that you can carry around with you that are direct confrontations to a lot of the spiritual trauma, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the inner critic voice about who God is or how, yes. how God is with us. They, they can kind of directly confront that. You know, we say God is love, so it's all about love. God is always present and at work. God is just like Jesus. God meets us in our messy reality. Like I, I come back to these again and again and again mm-hmm. in moments of anxiety or fear or anger for me. Like just like when I realize, like man, I'm something's up here, something's amiss. Um, I would, I, you know, for me right now, it's just okay. God meets me in my messy reality, and so I, I find it to be so freeing to be. Oh, I can just name what's happening. What emotion am I feeling? What thoughts are going through my head? And I can trust that it's okay. Whatever's whatever's real is okay because that's where God meets me. So, yeah. Yes. Anyway. So um, we don't yeah. have to hide. We, we don't have to. We hide. brought up Hillary McBride, and uh, now we're preaching. Now we're preaching. I guess. I guess so. That's this what is happens. Good though. I mean, I'm. I'm. She's been on the it. podcast before. Yeah. Take all my money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, a couple a couple of things to say. Um, one is that um, that our our upcoming book is all about these axioms, and so we'll put a link in the show notes. But if you want to pre-order it, you can pre-order it now. If you want to be part of our launch team, uh, we're going to start doing stuff like that in a few weeks. Uh, what time is it? I guess it's maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know when that starts. Game so. time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, So anyway, that's there. And then speaking of trauma, spiritual trauma and our inner critic and the way that we look at God, we are sponsoring. This is what, Matt, you tried to awkwardly segue into earlier. Awkward is a judgment. I'm pretty sure that was was 100% awkward. That is the voice of the inner critic. (laughs) And I reject that as a uh, legitimate uh, means of discourse. (laughs) If you would like to move towards me with correction, you'll have to find more polite words. Talk oh, to wow, me nice setting boundaries <laughs> right here on the podcast. Use your kind words, <laughs> young man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, we really no, do we want are, to talk about this. We yeah. do, yeah. So we are sponsoring this uh, event. It's a workshop um, with our friend, uh, Crispin Mayfield, who's also been on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a continuing education event for spiritual directors and counselors and pastors and leaders. We're sponsoring it along with our friends at Fall Creek Abbey here in Indianapolis. It's called Attached to God, and it's all about how our attachment styles um, have this strong impact on how we imagine our relationship with God, um, and then that kind of manifests itself in all of our relationships. And so um, I was thinking about this event in relationship to that quote from Hillary, Hillary McBride, because I think identifying that inner critic as the voice of God is one of the primary ways that we end up attaching emotionally, yeah. right, to this inner mm-hmm. critic with thinking it's God. And it just interrupts so much of how we're meant to relate to God and our spiritual life kind of gets twisted uh, out of shape. Um, so anyway, I'm eager to uh, to attend this event and just be part of it. Crispin's going to talk to us about attachment, about neuroscience, how it affects our theology, our relationships, our spiritual life, and how we can help others heal through a loving and secure attachment to God. 
So it's going to be Saturday, June 4th here in Indianapolis, an all-day event. Um, you can still get in on the early bird discount of $79 if you register before May 4th. It's we'll a bargain, a I tell you. That. It's a bargain. <laughs> we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So mm. yep. I'm trying to, my goal in uh, talking about this, Christy, is to get you to fly out here to come to it. Come on. Ooh, yeah? You know yeah. I'm doing my, my whole like yeah. uh, demon thesis dissertation is on uh, has to do with attachment does it um, i'm gonna be talking yes. about it yeah i, I read a bunch of books on that. it and all we that need stuff. to have a protracted is that the right use of that word i don't protracted. care i keep going we need to have a protracted conversation <laughs> about your thesis i know your study yeah because it's really good yes. yeah. yeah i'd like to chat about that sometime right. it would be fun to come it mm-hmm. would be great Especially, and then mm-hmm. i could just swing by in michigan say hello to family you know just make a trip of it make a trip of it bring bring uh Bring Paul, bring some of the kids, or maybe yeah, you'd rest, rather come alone. I don't know. So. You guys could smoke some meat. and There we go. Oh, <laughs> now you've yeah. got your, your plan for June, Matt, is coming come together. It's good. Christy's going to be here. Okay. Uh, all right. I just, in my mind now, Christy, you're coming. So let's find a way. Okay? <laughs> you know, I will actually, this uh, interesting fact, uh-huh. I will actually see Christy. The week Ooh. before this Yes, event. I know. You're before? coming out to really? Colorado. Mm-hmm. Oh my yes, Colorado. with the fam. Yep. That's yeah. crazy. It's going to be so fun. You guys. Out there. You crazy kids. Now, I want to come out for that meeting now, too. Come on, Ben. Guys, from now come on, on, we on have out. to do everything together. <laughs> Best friends. <laughs> Agreed? Agreed. <laughs> Great. It's on the podcast, so everybody knows. Best friends forever. All right. Uh, yeah. What All could right. possibly go well, wrong? Yes. Those promises right. we made in uh, elementary school, nobody yeah. ever broke them. Yeah. No, no. Not me. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, here, here's, well, here's another speaking segue. Of promises, speaking of promises, speaking of promises, speaking of let have... me do the segue. <laughs> speaking of seeing God in a new way, how about that? Uh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right, okay, you can, you can go, the... Ben. You're on a who roll. Are we ta- who are we talking to today on our interview? David Ford. Yeah, Christy, you yeah. really liked David. Yeah, it was it. You know, honestly, <laughs> I am always surprised. You know, like you meet people and through the screen, you're just like. <laughs> You know, it's weird, right? You're just talking to him through the screen, but right. man, we—he's a great guy, and yeah, it was true. really fun to talk to, re- and encouraging and challenging, and um, it's—it's yeah. it's worth the listen for yes. sure, listeners. So, yeah. yeah, this was a Gravity um, Gravity Commons live uh, conversation that we had with him, and it was a little bit off of our beaten path, I would say. Um, he's written a commentary on John's Gospel. And we don't often, I guess, get into like theology proper or biblical studies, uh, that kind of a yeah. thing. Uh, but every once in a while we do. And I think mm-hmm. um, I was, after hearing, I haven't actually uh, read through the commentary. I think uh, you read through it, Matt, before conducting the interview. But um, yeah. it made me eager for, John's gospel has always been, I mean, probably my favorite gospel. Mm-hmm. I, I love all of mm-hmm. them in, in their own way. They're all my favorites, but uh, but yeah, John's gospel has had uh, yeah some important uh, an important part in my life, and so I'd I'd love to read his commentary because it seems real fresh, uh, real yeah. new. Um, his insight I preached right after we did the interview oh, on John nineteen, right. and that's it right. really did help me. Yeah. It was really good, but you know, it was the most significant part of the whole interview for me was his joy. He like mm-hmm. it felt like I was with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want people. I want that to be what people experience when I spend time with them. But they don't. Like let's just be honest. But with him, <laughs> it is. It was beautiful, and he yeah. just illuminated Jesus in joy, 
And mm-hmm. um, I want to spend more time with him. I'm like, next time I'm in England, guess what? I'm going to knock on his door. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Don't undersell yourself, though, Christy. You How are, about, you are yeah. often full of joy. How about this? How about we link Christy's sermon in the show notes, and then <gasps> readers can can actually hear. Wow. There we go. That uh, Christy infests you. She infects you with her enthusiasm and love. You can't listen to Christy preach and not be drawn into what she's excited about. Oh, you're so kind. Thank True, you. Christy. Yes, that'd be really fun. Right. I'll send you that link then. <clears throat> Boom. Yep. All right. Listeners, can we do be that? in the show notes. Yeah, yeah let's, be in the do show notes. Great. let's do it. Great. All right. Well, Ben, you do good emails. Chrissy, you do good sermons. And I do good... Uh, Segways. I do good bacterial infections in my kitchen. So I got to <laughs> I gotta run, guys. I got to go. Right. We got to get into this All interview. Right. All right. Let's here we go, it. guys. Here we go. Welcome, everyone. We are joined today on the Gravity Podcast, a special Gravity Commons live recording of our podcast but with uh, Professor David Ford. He's the religious, uh, I'm sorry, the Regis Professor of Divinity Emeritus at the University of Cambridge, England, and a fellow of Selwyn College. His publications are numerous. They include Meaning and Truth in 2 Corinthians, Self and Salvation, Being Transformed, Christian Wisdom, Desiring God, and learning in love, and his latest publication that we're talking about today, the Gospel of John, a theological commentary. David, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's lovely to be here with you. Uh, you know, those of us who uh, teach in colleges, if we persist and do so long enough, we sometimes become emeritus. And I'm just curious, uh, what are you spending your time doing these days as an emeritus professor? Uh, well, I i mean, obviously, I'm going on writing. I'm writing the book on glorification, actually, the next one, mm. uh, uh, with, with Ash Coxworth, who's a, a younger theologian in uh, Roehampton University here. But, but I've also got uh, able to concentrate on some of my passions. I mean, one of them is uh, a, a little community that my wife uh, co-founded um, for people with and without learning disabilities here in Cambridge. And I'm the chair of the trustees of that. And that takes up a lot of time. It's got a, an intentional Christian community at its heart. Uh, and uh, and also um, the Rose Castle Foundation. That's one. And I, I'm co-chair of that. And that's a centre for reconciliation, interfaith engagement and the environment. It's got one. We've been renovating a castle in Cumbria oh. and, and much else to do with education and a, a range of other things. Yes, yeah, so mostly leisure is what you're saying. Well, then just grandchildren. That sounds great. Well, uh, all those things I'd like to ask you about, but we will discipline our conversation today about this commentary on the book of John that just came out with Baker Academic. Um, I, I'm you you spend some time in the introduction, David, answering the question, why John and why now? And I, I wonder if you could summarize that for our listeners. Uh it's it's not as though we have a dearth of John commentaries. Uh, so what is it about what is it about the twenty years you've spent in the gospel that uh, necessitated perhaps this offering to the church? Well, I mean, in two thousand, when I began writing it, I 
just felt that having done two Corinthians and got deep into Paul uh, and, you know, I was writing all sorts of other things as well at the time, but that the, the Mount Everest of theological understanding in the Bible really is the Gospel of John. And uh, it's, as I say, it's a gospel of abundance. It's just super abundantly rich in meaning and you never come to the end of it. And so I decided to, to, to go for it. I also decided that that, you know, there are loads of other commentaries and many of them far longer than mine. Um, but I, I wanted to do something that, uh, you know, I wanted to be in scholarly terms and in theological terms to be really sure footage, you know, to have done my homework, so to speak, on the whole thing, uh, on the, the 2000 years of interpretation of John, if you like, and around the world today. Uh, but I also wanted really to land with ordinary Christians, you know, to, to, to actually be the sort of one that you can go back to and find that it really does feed into Christian living. And, uh, you know, so therefore it's, it's as much spirituality and Christian living as it is theology. Mm, yes. I mean, the two are inseparable for me, obviously. If you're centered on God, then, you know, you're both. Yes. This is one of the points you make in, in the commentary is that John is very self-consciously writing to reveal the identity of Jesus. Right. Could you... Could you maybe trace that theme for us a bit? How does the gospel writer, let's just call him John, as you do in your commentary, how does he make that a central focus of the way he tells the story? Well, right from the prologue, I mean, the central verse there, the pivotal verse is the word became flesh, obviously, and and, and dwelt among us. And, and then the first question in the gospel is in the first verse after the prologue, you know, who are you? And it's addressed to John the Baptist, but he immediately shifts it off to Jesus. And then he gives Jesus some titles, the Lamb of God and Son of God and so forth, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then there's a, an avalanche of titles in the rest of chapter one. And then every single other chapter, uh, you know, raises the question of who Jesus is. And I, I love the fact that, you know, at the very end, you know, the first words of Jesus in John's gospel are, what are you looking for? That Jesus says to his first disciples. And then when he meets Mary Mas Ma uh, Magdalene, you know, at, at the end, uh, that, that extraordinary moving meeting with Mary Magdalene, um, he says, uh, as she's weeping and looking for his dead body, you know, he says, whom are you looking for? You know, what, who, who? And, and I think that who question, uh, it keeps Christianity healthy if you always have who at the centre and not what, you know. I mean, behaviour questions are very important and all sorts of other questions are very important. But unless you come back to the who question, and I think John deliberately shaped his doctor, his whole gospel around those great I ams. You know, I am in John is the central thing. And uh, he, he wants to make sure that you're always aware that you are in the presence of Jesus, the risen, yes. crucified and risen Jesus, that that's the reality you're part of. Yes. Yes. I do wonder, as I read that part of the way you were um, tracing that theme through the, the Gospels, if if doubting Thomas in the narrative of John's sort of revealing of Jesus's identity and how he's the imaginative world is working. And if it's perhaps better to call him declaring Thomas, because he's the one who, you know, if not, if not the scene with Mary as the pinnacle of that, then it is, it is doubting Thomas, right? 
is, yes. Yes, I mean, my Lord and my God. But you'll notice what happens. It was quite a pivotal moment for me uh, when I was looking at that and saw that then what Jesus says is, blessed are those who have not seen Mm. yet believe. Mm. And then what he goes on to do is to address the reader and talk about the writing of the gospel. In other words, you shift from being eyewitnesses to reading the gospel and and you're blessed as you read. And I think one of the reasons you're blessed as you read is that you're more blessed in a sense than the eyewitnesses, because, you know, in John's gospel, you've got the advantage of him having been through loads of other things written about Jesus and all the other eyewitnesses. And also, you know, his own long meditations and prayer and living in Christian community. So, you know, he just distills a whole understanding of who Jesus is and introduces you to Jesus in a way that even the original eyewitnesses didn't have. Mm. Yes. Yes. One of the things you mentioned to use this Mount Everest metaphor, uh, John is sort of uh, the what, what's given birth to uh, decades of reflecting on Jesus and writing about Jesus and ministering in the spirit. And so you hold that the gospel writer makes use of the Septuagint and other New Testament writings in the formulation of his gospel, the concepts he uses, the way he structures the story. I'm wondering, what did you see as some of the evidence for that? And why? Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. begin with the first verse, you know, in the beginning, that's, that they're the first words of the Septuagint, NRK. Uh, you know, uh, and actually, my favorite North American biblical scholar is Richard Hayes uh, of mm. Duke. Well, he's retired now. Uh, but in 2009, he was on sabbatical in Cambridge. And Richard Borkham, another one of my favourite New Testament scholars, had just retired from St Andrews to Cambridge. And I suggested to them that we read the just Gospel of John together. So we put 30, 21 d- dates of three hours each into our diaries between Ju- July and Christmas. And we went through, you know, every three hours we did a chapter of John. And it was an amazing thing. Now, Richard Hayes later wrote Echoes of Scripture in the Gospel. And that is Echoes of the Septuagint in all the Gospels. And it is just a fascinating book, one of the, the best New Testament books, I think, in recent years. And, uh, you know, it's so obvious. But the other person who I learned a lot from was Margaret Daly Denton. Uh, she wrote the Earth Bible commentary, um, uh, supposing him to be the gardener, which is one of my favorite commentaries. And mm. uh, she uh, I mean, it's a wonderful thing connecting, you know, John's gospel with the whole earth and but but it's it's a sort of prophetic commentary right but before that she wrote david in the fourth gospel which is about the psalms uh, and the the fourth gospel i mean there's more quotations from the psalms than from any other part of the old testament mm-hmm. uh, but john is utterly marinated in the old testament i mean the more i read the septuagint in greek the more the resonances and i bring that out all the way through the gospel i mean it's such a rich rich thing and of course it's john's way of making sure that there is this superabundance you know and but also i think john knew the synoptic gospels they you know matthew mark and luke um, and uh, I, I have a practice in church that whenever there's a, a gospel reading from the synoptics, I try to read it Johannineally. And whenever there's a, a, a reading from John, I try to read it synoptically. And, you know, you just do that with something like the Lord's Prayer, for example, in relation to John 17, or do it with in relation to the transfiguration, which isn't in John. But my goodness, all the themes pervade John. I mean, John has distributed the glory of the transfiguration right through his gospel and so on. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And it, it, it 
it is extraordinary. I think also Paul is there, you know, that, that, that what John does is he brings together the narrative dimension of the synoptics and the theological pillars of, uh, of Paul. Mm. Uh, in, you know, I mean, you, you, you just think of, you know, of love, of in Christ, of Christ in us, of the spirit, of superabundance, uh, you know, that, that they're, they're, they're the pillars of Paul's theology. And of course, also the interpretation of the Septuagint in Paul. Uh, and John has all these intertexts. Uh, and it just goes on and on. And it's still being, I mean, hardly a, a week goes by without seeing more. Mm. Wow. You mentioned love in that list. And I, you know, it's a central theme in the gospel. What would John want us in the Western church to know today about love? Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Let me just think. Let me just think. Well, here's four things. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, 118, you know, the climax of the prologue is the son close to the father's heart, the son in the bosom of the father. And I mean, what John wants us to be is to be there with Jesus in the bosom of the father. You know, that, that, that's, that's what you know, chapter 17 is where we're utterly, utterly welcomed into that. But, you know, if you follow bosoms through the gospel, you know, you've got that bosom. Then you have the beloved disciple when he's first introduced to the gospel in, in chapter 13 at the Last Supper. You know, he's resting on the bosom, on the breast of Jesus. And then we're reminded of him again doing that in the very last chapter, in, in chapter 21, in the last scene of the gospel. In other words, we're, we're being invited into the love at the heart of the universe. You know, and, and the, the basic statement for all of us is, do we actually have a worldview in which this love is utterly, utterly central and to be inhabited uh, just permanently. You know, I mean, that's just one thing. Then there's John 3.16, I mean, where God so loved the world. Um, I, I think, I mean, the world is obviously often a negative thing in John, but, but fundamentally it's the world God created and loves. And, uh, and I, I think that, uh, you know, it's terribly important for us as Christians, that we are invited deeper into the love of God and into who Jesus is, but at the same time, deeper into the world. You know, we are sent as Jesus was sent, and Jesus was sent into the world and into darkness, of course, as well, you know, into the really nitty gritty situations. And, um, you know, the final thing in the uh, uh, scene with Peter, you know, he's told about his martyrdom. Um, so that's the second one. And then there's the farewell discourses. I mean, can you ever imagine coming to the end of the farewell discourses? I mean, that's wave after wave of love. You know, it begins with uh, the, the headline for the, all of them is having loved his own, he loved them till the end. And the first thing he does then is, you know, all things were given into his hands and those hands wash feet. You know, so so we have that radical uh, upside downness of foot washing in, in chapter 13. And, and that's then leads directly into the first commandment to love as Jesus has loved. And, and then you get the friendship added to the serving in, in chapter 15. You know, I call you friends. And then you get the absolute climax. I mean, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible and the one that I mean, really, you do need all eternity to get into it, is chapter 17, that final prayer of Jesus. That amazing, amazing prayer. I mean, that, uh, you know, 
trying to write about about the, that that prayer of Jesus in chapter seventeen. One of the first things that uh, that uh, Richard Hayes and Richard Borkham said, and they agreed on it. And I always noted when they agreed because they're very different New Testament scholars, and you know if they agree, it must be true. And uh, <laughs> the, the uh, so. So I, what they both agreed was that that John 17 is a midrash on the Lord's Prayer, that it, that it's, a, you know, it, it's deeply, deeply related to the Lord's Prayer. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you just think of the on earth as in heaven and then you, you look at chapters, you know, verses 20 to 26 in that that glorious climax. Um, and of course, the amazing thing, I mean, it's this is unity in love with God, with each other. And always for the sake of the whole world. The word world occurs 16 times in chapter 17. Wow. That's only three, however. The final one. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> always more in John. The, the, the final one in, in John is, of course, that extraordinary uh, dialogue with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yeah. Uh, and, oh, my goodness me. Where, where do you ever end with that, too? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, real quick, David. More than these is are these the hundred and fifty some odd fish? Are these his compatriots? Who are the these there? The, what the the? Sorry, I didn't get your question. Yeah, sorry. That do you love me more than these? Oh, more than these. Ah, goodness. I think that's that's. You, you'll notice Simon Peter doesn't say yes, Lord. I love you more than those or these. You know, in other words, he has learned not to be overconfident. He's mm-hmm. learned he's, he's he's learned to be more humble. He doesn't do a comparative thing at all. He just simply says that he loves them. You know, you know that I love you, that I love you, and he trusts. You know, I, and uh, and I think uh, you know there's a there's a very interesting exchange there where he resists any implication of comparison. None of us have to compare our love. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You, you're referencing um, what, one of the ways that John. Some you mentioned in your in your commentary that sometimes John is the first piece of Christian writing given to a new believer, and that and that happened to me. I started reading through the Gospel of John when I took my faith seriously in college, and very quickly I would get into some passages where Jesus went on long, extended monologues. And I, I lost kind of what point is he trying to make and, and where is this going and what's happening? And I wonder, um, I wonder if you could give us some help. Um, why, why sometimes is it hard to follow the argumentation of Jesus and John? What's going on there? Oh, my goodness. Yes. I, I think, you know, two, two of the most demanding things I found trying to write the commentary were tasks that I set myself. One was that at the beginning of each chapter, I try to summarize, I try to re-describe what's happening in it. And that was for exactly the reasons that you say, Matt. I mean, that was a very challenging thing to do. Sometimes you wonder how on earth can I can I summarize this? Uh, But I try to do it. And I hope that for anyone who is, you know, in the same situation as I was, was too, of course, um, that the, those those summaries will be genuinely helpful. They're not meant to be summaries in terms of neatly summing up all that all that is said. They're meant to lead you to enable you to go deeper. I mean, I think the whole of John is 
you know, it's wanting to make an impression on you at the beginning. And there's very powerful things in it, you know, that just hit you at once. But it, he also wants you to mature in faith. You know, he, he's got the long term, the abiding. He, he, he's he got that vision that you're, you're meant to grow up. You're meant to, you know, have a questioning faith, you know, ask the big questions. You're meant to desire more and more and be open to more and more and have a horizon of God and all reality. You know, the horizon of the prologue and uh, and and the even more amazing horizon of chapters. 17. So uh, so I think that's the, the other the second thing that I found really challenging but but again I set myself to do it was to try to distill what I would call the wisdom of John into italics. You know, so every so often in the chapter in each chapter's commentary um, I, uh, I I just do a few sent a sentence or two in italics. You know, which are my way of saying look this is the wisdom that I have distilled out of that. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to, but, but you know, something to think with. Mm. Uh, and I think that also really helps in relation to those passages. But, you know, the other thing is, when I realized that John teaches in waves, you know, that, I mean, the opening verse is a, a mini version of that. You know, in the beginning was the word, the first wave, and the word was with God a bit further up the beach. And then the massive breaker and the word was God. You know, that, but if you go through Nicodemus' story, for example, you find there's three waves, each introduced by truly, truly, I say to you. And then the, 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 Farewell discourses are just a number of waves, you know, and of course, when you've got one wave on top of another, because there's waves in the farewell discourses of love, of prayer, of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and more, you know, and of comfort in relation to the forthcoming death of Jesus, that, that um, when you've got those sort of waves, you know, no wonder you're sometimes bewildered. But, but I think the key of John is that there's always something tangible to hold on to you know you always there's often a nice summary sentence I call you by name you know he calls us sheep by name or uh, you know whatever love one another as I have loved you and uh, and so there's both the simplicity and immediacy and also the capacity for endless depth wave after wave of understanding mm. yes Yes, I think uh, you had this provocative sentence in your commentary that you try to learn from John how to read John. And it sounds like you just described some of the ways that you did that. Yeah? Well, John was clearly utterly steeped in his scriptures and also in a lot of the other things that he mentions, those other testimonies to Jesus, you know, that he mentions at the end of at the end of his gospel. I mean, he was steeped in these. And I, I think that the secret is slow reading and rereading mm. and rereading and rereading. You just never come to the end. I mean, it's still happening for me. I, you know, it, it, this is just an interim report. Any commentary on John is an interim report, I think, when you go on, you know, because if you take seriously John on the spirit, the spirit is to lead you into all truth, you know, and yes. we're not there yet. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, the, the, there's this lovely sense in John that, uh, you know, he, 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 he wants you to, to grow and grow and that, and that never comes to an end. And um, now I've lost the beginning of your question. Remind me of it. Yeah. You, it just struck me that you said you had to learn from John, how oh, yeah. to read John. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, it, when you're steeped in the Septuagint, the more you get into the Septuagint, the more you realize how John read the Septuagint as well. Mm. And what he did was really, he went deeper into his own scriptures. He went deeper into Jesus and the testimony to Jesus, both his own eyewitness testimony and all the rest. Um, and then he encourages to go deeper into the world in the spirit and to do daring, imaginative interpretation of scriptures. I mean, the prologue of John, nobody had ever written theology like that before, as far as we know. You know, I mean, he diverges from Genesis 1 after the first phrase, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. I mean, it, it, this is mind blowing stuff. And John expects us all to be led by the spirit into more and more truth. And of course, that's why the Gospel of John has been probably the, the single text that's been most influential in Christian thinking uh, yes. for 2000 years and still is around the world today. Yes. You're always stretched in imagination and in action and in prayer and in thinking by John. You know, yeah. he continually stretches you and, and and he expects you to interpret scripture. You know, you know, his way of reading scripture makes sure that you do that too. Hi, my name is Jill Brown and I'm from Midland, Texas. I have been in a gravity leadership cohort for the past year and a half. I am not employed by a church, but I was interested in spiritual transformation, so I decided to join a group. At times, my life had felt like I was operating out of a fragmented, achievement-driven, broken place. But during these weekly Zoom calls, the gravity training has helped me integrate and embody God's love in my life, and I have a greater sense of this wholeness to share with others. If you've ever felt like there was something missing in your understanding of God, or if you are curious about how God shows up in your everyday life, check out Gravity Leadership and see if it's for you. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Yes, yeah, so uh, long, slow, meditative uh, jaunts through uh, John's Gospel, 20 years or so. Uh, reading, <laughs> reading with Richard Balcom and Richard Hayes can never hurt, right? That never hurts. <laughs> and um, many, many other people. <laughs> yes. And well, one of the one of the reading disciplines you've engaged in over the last few years, I wonder if you could speak to how this gave form and shape to the commentary. You talk about a reading practice that you call scriptural reasoning. And these are, uh, and I'll probably not do a sufficient job explaining this, but they're reading groups made up of uh, ecumenical people from diverse faith backgrounds who all read and discuss the same text. Can you maybe uh, correct that understanding if it's wrong and then help us understand how that has informed the way that you uh, understand the Gospel of John? Well, yes, my goodness. It's been one of the most exciting and surprising and deepening experiences that I've had. I mean, it began in the early 1990s when uh, myself and my father-in-law, Dan Hardy, who's also a theologian, he was head of the Centre of Theological Inquiry in, in Princeton at the time, uh, when Peter Oakes, the uh, Jewish professor of philosophy, uh, invited us to sit in on sessions, uh, fringe sessions at the American Academy of Religion of a, a group called Textual Reasoning, which were Jewish text scholars, philosophers and theologians who were intensively engaged with trying to work out really what, what it was to be Jewish after the Holocaust, after the Shoah. And um, 
And, and we Christians who sat in on the edge of that were absolutely gripped by their intensive attention to their classic texts, to scripture and Talmud, their intensive engagement with modernity and how they have to be understood today, and also their the quality of their conversation, often argument to the point of you wonder how their relationship survived. You know? and, and the uh, but but we some of us Christians joined with some of the Jews there to form scriptural reasoning, uh, reading our text together. Um, and then Muslims joined. Um, and uh, that transformed it in, in a further way. And uh, and it's it's gone on from that. And it, it's, it's, you know, we had annual meetings at the American Academy of Religion and also it in Cambridge University for years. And then it spread to other spheres. You know, it spread to uh, schools, to prisons, to congregations of, uh, you know, churches, synagogues, mosques, to business settings, to settings of leadership training. I mean, I've just come back from St. George's Windsor in Windsor Castle, where, where we've had a faith in leadership group, where this core discipline of these Jews, Christians and Muslim leaders from different, uh, from around Britain, you know, is doing scriptural reasoning. And I, I was talking to them about scriptural reasoning there. Uh, but it's also spread to China, where they do six text scriptural reasoning. Um, uh, with, with uh, Buddhism, Confucianism and Taoism as well as, uh, but the, the key thing is that we aren't trying to do a sort of syncretism. We, we try to really be utterly ourselves, me utterly Christian, somebody else utterly Jewish, utterly, you know, whatever you are. Uh, and it improves the quality of your disagreements, uh, but also it enables you to go deeper into your own texts, to have a really good Jewish reader of their scriptures, Reading John's Gospel is just amazing. And when I came to chapter eight, which is one of the most problematic ones in relation to Jews, you know, Peter Oakes happened to be here in Cambridge uh, giving the Halcyon lectures, the uh, set of university lectures. And he was staying with me in for three weeks. And uh, so I invited him to read John chapter eight with me during those three weeks. And that was an amazing thing, which really did help to shape, you know, what, what's there in the commentary on, on, on chapter eight. Not that we agreed on things, you know, we, we, but, but, but we really did get deeper into that. So you get deeper into your own text, deeper into the other people's texts, deeper into the world that we're all committed to, you know, the, the world that we're engaged with, and also deeper into relationships. I mean, I've got some of my most precious friendships out of that. Uh, and and uh, one of the, the Hindus who you know is 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 leading scriptural reasoning in India was there in St George's Castle this the, this week and we did a we did a joint session for the for the faith leaders, but but you know scriptural reasoning, um, you know it's it's a uh, it, it's something that really honours the integrity of each person's faith, but yet is deeply challenging as you as you engage in studying your text and you know it it pervades I, I suppose this this might be. I don't know. I mean, well, it's up to other people to judge, but it might be the first commentary on John's gospel that really is steep, you, you know, that that speaks out of that sort of context, you know, yeah. of having studied John's gospel in India, in China, in in the States, in, uh, you know, with people from a, a wide range of traditions. Um, and yet I think the result of it is that one, um, you know, one realizes that Jesus Christ is the word through whom all things were made. And wherever there is meaning and truth, you know, that you recognize something of, you know, what Jesus at work and, and full of surprises, of course. We don't have an overview of how, how the spirit works. Yes, that's beautiful. I find myself wanting to be uh, in, in one of your reading groups. 
Balcom doesn't have to be there, but maybe, uh, you know, maybe Oaks. Um, and that's Lee incredible. And Teddy are joining. <laughs> <laughs> well, begin scriptural reasoning. I mean, you it, go to scripturalreasoning.org and you'll see. I, I mean, Rose Castle, where, where I'm co chair, is now the hub for scriptural reasoning in the UK. And it's also doing increasing things internationally. I mean, I think it's a practice that just works, you know, that, yeah. that uh, and, and that people, you know, really are changed by it in very, very good ways. Mm-hmm. We've got a wonderful team of 10 young people. Well, they're not all, all that young, but my, most of them are young in, in Rose Castle. And, uh, you know, one of them is uh, has just done a master's degree in Durham University on scriptural reasoning. And mm-hmm. he is leading the, the, the scriptural reasoning side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I want to, uh, we have a few more questions and then we're going to get to some Gravity Commons live questions. But I, I wonder before we leave the scriptural reasoning, if you would uh, be so kind as to unpack a bit. I think many of us who, many of our listeners are are becoming more and more aware about the unfortunate legacy of anti-Semitism in, um, in the Christian tradition and how the Gospel of John has maybe contributed to that or been used for that. And I wonder, what have you learned from your Jewish friends about how to read the Gospel of John in a way that uh, that isn't used to be uh, weaponized against them, I guess? Or how, what have they taught you on how to read the more problematic passages of John as it refers to the Jews? Well, I mean, chapter eight is the, the, the time, but not just chapter eight, also in chapter two, uh, you know, and various other points, I... I, I engage with this because it is so important, and and John on the Jews are so is is so um, pervasive, you know, in the gospel, and um, and and basically, I suppose I, I feel we first of all have to face up to the awful history of, of uh, you know, when when I used to teach my students and give them Augustine or Luther and so forth on John's gospel and see how some of the statements they made about the Jews, you know, they were just horrified, you know, and rightly horrified. Uh, I mean, there there is a, a real a real problem in, in much of the tradition. Um, and so, I mean, really facing that and also facing the history of supersessionism, you know, that basically Jews are ruled out of salvation history and so forth. Um, and so I, I, you know, try to tackle that in relation to the gospel. But But my basic constructive response to that is, that if you want to do this, you really need to read with Jews. You know, it's no use just getting together with Chris, fellow Christians and saying, uh, you know, let's let's settle how we're going to relate to this problem. You know, it, it, there are real live Jews around, loads, plenty of them. And, and, and uh, you know, one needs to read, I mean, hence my three weeks of reading John 8 with Peter Oakes. And, uh, you know, and you'll see the, the result of that in the thing. It doesn't mean we agreed, you know, Peter and I still, differ on Jesus as the son of God and Messiah, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that you don't have to come to agreement, but you do have to come to a deep relationship in which there is, a, you know, mutual deeper understanding and respect and so forth. And, uh, you know, and, and a recognition of the fact that, well, as Peter used to say too, you know, the, the sort of language in John 8 is utterly rabbinic. You know, this is how Jews argue with each other too. You know, that, that, that he was very realistic about that. And how do you think the rabbis won out in the, the maelstrom of, uh, you know, first and second century Christianity, uh, you know, uh, first, uh, first and second centuries after the fall of the temple, you know, when they came, became the, 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 um, the, 
the dominant form of, of Judaism. And you know, there were bitter arguments then too. And of course, the, the Hebrew scriptures are full of it as well. So, uh, you know, I mean, we have to be realistic about that, about the sort of discourses going on. But fundamentally, we have to create a better history now. You know, and, mm -hmm. and the only way I think to create a better history is to uh, not just read together, but collaborate together and have the sort of long term relationships together for the good of the world that yeah. our world desperately needs. Yeah, that's a good word, David. Thank you for that. I want Christy and Ben. I know, Christy, you have a sermon coming up in the Gospel of John. I sure do. This is like perfect timing for me because I am preaching on John 19 on Sunday and we're going through a series of the, the last seven statements that Jesus made on the cross uh, during Lent. And it's been a tough one for me to, to you know, it's just the verses on woman, here's your son. Um, so any wisdom you have for me, anything you want to say, anything I can add, um, I would love, I've got a piece of paper and a, and a pen. I'll take notes. Well, I, I think that, that the most fundamental thing about that is that, you know, there is the crucified Jesus in a position of utter humiliation. And uh, well, in terms of, you know, the, the community that my wife and utter disability, you know, I mean, on the cross and, and it is, and what does he do from there? He founds community, you know, in other words, and I think it challenges us who is central to our community, are the marginal, the humiliated, those who are suffering, you know, are they genuinely at the heart of our of our of our communities? Because what, what we've discovered just in our little way in, in the in, in Lynn's house, you can Google the, the Lynn's house, L-Y-N apostrophe S house community, you know, and, and see our, our website. But 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 what we found there is that. If you have people with learning disabilities at the center of your community, everyone is, it, nobody feels marginalized. <laughs> you know, it's a very strange thing. You know, whereas if you have the powerful and the clever Cambridge people and the, you know, and so forth, you know, all the people with learning abilities and wealth and power and so forth, you know, then people feel marginal, marginal. But, but there's this miracle that when you have the crucified Jesus and those who are, you know, in line with the crucified Jesus at the heart of your community, then um, you know it, it. It becomes a community centered on the sort of love that uh, that that really does transform the sort of relationships in it. I mean, it's it's not magic, of course. I mean, there's there's all, all sorts of other things. But I love the picture at the end of John's Gospel of Jesus saying to the beloved disciple. Uh, about the beloved disciple, you know, what is it to you if he should remain, abide? It's it's the word to abide, you know, until mm -hmm. I come. And um, where was he abiding with the mother of Jesus? You know, and out of that abiding, that hidden church, came this the the writing of this gospel. I I, I just love the way in which it's it all. So you know that that event on the cross culminates in that final picture of the hidden church. Both the mother of Jesus and the disciple are anonymous in John's gospel, and yeah. you, know, you have the big upfront Peter, you know, the martyr, the the named Peter, the leader, and so forth. But then there's this hidden church, and of course we all know this hidden church, don't we? We're we're constantly amazed by it as we, uh, you know, as you you find it again and again and again in all sorts of settings. Mm. Yeah, so good. That's good. Well, I feel like at least I'm on the right track. Redefining <laughs> community is kind of what I like was going to title it. So that's good. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> uh, 
David, I, I appreciate it. And also, also, just one footnote, it's family and more than family. You know, yes. you know that that it's uh, you know it it's not playing down family and but 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 it's saying you know there really is a new family here. Yes, that's good. Thank you. Yes, um, I uh, am looking forward to um, studying this uh, when I next time I preach uh, on the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John for me has been um, actually just, uh, really important uh, in my in my life. I had a sort of an early, um, I don't know what I'd call it, maybe a contemplative experience, sort of a mystical experience on my porch reading John 1. Um, this is years ago. But just, you know, reading uh, in, in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. I just had this vision of Jesus Christ sort of just expanding, like to fill the whole world, and like the freedom of God's presence, like through the spirit, the presence of the incarnate Christ in the, in the, in the entire world and God's freedom to just move and to heal and to act and to do what God is going to do. Um, it's been really, uh, yeah, it's been a really, um, important book for me. Um, I wanted to ask you this question though, um, David, I, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about kind of what this passage means or um, the nuances of, of this or that passage. But I wonder if there's a passage in the Gospel of John that you just don't know what to do with. And, 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 and maybe why is that? Oh, my goodness me. My goodness me. I mean, the, the, the problem is there's so many of them. You know, that, that, you know what to do with means that yeah. there are some passages that you do know what to do with. You know, to ask <laughs> right, that implies, and, implies maybe you know, something that's uh, less than true. And, and, and you know, it, it just, the, the, the trouble is that this super, you know, the more, you I mean, just take the, the piercing. I mean, some of the distinctive Johannine things, the piercing of the side of Jesus and the water and blood pouring out. What on earth do you make of that? Mm. Um, you know, I, I love George Herbert's uh, poem, uh, Prayer, you know, which has the, the one for it's a whole series of just of, of one, you know, of phrases about prayer, no main verb. And that the one the one relevant to this is Christ's side piercing spear. What if you think of prayer as a Christ side piercing spear that goes to the heart of Jesus, you know, that, like that, that and outpours that, you know, the the. Uh, uh, I mean, the poets and the artists and so forth, you know, ha have often done. But the, the mystery, I, I, I think um, I, I recently had to write for a forthcoming book, uh, the TNT Clark Companion to uh, <coughs> Suffering and the Problem of Evil, uh, on suffering and evil in, in the Gospel of John. And what came home to me even more than it had in the commentary? I mean, it's there in the commentary, but, you know, often when you're asked a different sort of big question, you know, you bring things together in a different way. And it was the three mysteries of John's gospel, you know, which mean that there are these puzzles in a whole set of things. You know, the myth, there was the mystery of... Uh, you know, of evil, of darkness, you know, the light shines in darkness. John doesn't give an explanation of the, what, where the darkness came from, of what, how you understand it and so forth. But, you know, clearly the darkness continues in John's gospel, this mystery of light coexisting with darkness, you know, and, and then there's the mystery of human freedom, of, of response. You know, there is a, 
a side of John that could be interpreted and has been interpreted in, as predestination. You know, the, the 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 sovereignty of God just dictates everything. You know, who's 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 saved, who's damned. You know, the sort of and they they often appeal to the dualism of John. I think that's profoundly wrong, and I argue against it all the way through the the the, the commentary. But <clears throat> but there is this dualism of decision, as as Boltman says. You know where. Where, where you know again and again the reader is being invited to identify with Jesus and not with other things, you know, and it being invited to take a decision, you yeah. know, and and yeah. I, I underline that, and that's the mystery of human freedom, you know, all, all the way through. And yet, there's also the sovereignty of God. There's the mystery of divine action. And how do these big three mysteries? Now, I think the secret of it is that. We're not given a formula. There is no formula. There's no overview of que those questions. There's a mist. There, there are triple mystery, and you don't solve triple mysteries by some by by any philosophical theories or theological doctrines. You know, um, you know. But what what John wants us to do is practically engage with this. In other words, that we're in the drama. We aren't standing above the drama. We don't know what's, a, the, you know, what is it to you if he should abide until I come? You, you're ignorant about what, what what the future of somebody else is. You're, you're, you, you have to be agnostic about a lot of things, mm -hmm. you know, but follow me is the, is the issue. It's a practical follow me. If you follow Jesus in, in, into the drama, into the darkness and so forth with others, of course, in, in love, then, um, then that is the practical solution to the problem of evil and sin and suffering and so mm. forth. And, 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 but, but you're not given a, a theoretical solution to it. My, my doctoral, doctoral supervisor in Cambridge was Donald McKinnon, one of the great philosophical theologians of the, the 20th century. And, uh, you know, one of his things about John's gospel was the darkness continues, you know, that there is a tragic dimension to John. We're just looking at it in the Ukraine at the moment, of course. And, and um, you know, and that I thirst of John on the uh, of Jesus on the cross. That's another one, uh, <coughs> Christy, that that, uh, you know, another saying from the cross. You know, it's so ironic that the one who says that he'll give, you know, the water welling up to eternal life, you know, to the woman, the, the, the Samaritan woman, that that he's the one who says i thirst you know that's the that's the tragic dimension of of darkness in 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 life and my goodness me we you know and i i try through the commentary to to engage with that too my wife's a, a chaplain in addenbrooke's hospital here she's an anglican priest and and uh, my goodness me the things that daily you know every day she's there that, that well she works two days a week but every one of those two days there's there's just these the 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 suffering that the, the agonies, the people who are facing death, the people, you know, who have tried to commit suicide, the people, you know, it just goes on. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Well, David, I, we need to wrap up the public um, recording of this podcast. I, I though want to just report that um, you're the wonder and um, joy that you have for the gospel of John is contagious. Yes. Um, Friends, find somebody who looks at you like David looks at the Gospel of John. That's what I'm wishing on everyone here. Um, so, David, I I thank you for this commentary. I think your uh, love for God um, comes through in your writing. Uh, you know, I made the comment before we hit record that you usually don't read commentaries from cover to cover. It's just not what they're meant to to do. But um, the portions of your commentary I've read read like a devotional that has been that has been seeped 
or um, maybe stewed in 20 years of worship. And it, it comes through in your writing and it, it is coming through today in our conversation. So thank you for that. Thank you for the faithfulness and the work you've done to birth what I said earlier, and I'll say again, as a gift to the church. Well, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I mean, it has been the most amazing experience of, of my life, you know, and it's a, mm. and to try to pour all the theology and life and experience and so forth into one commentary has been a, <laughs> quite a challenge. Yes. All right. David, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Very much. He was delightful, friends. Yeah, I want to be yeah. like him when I get older. Yeah, he's like yes. uh, he's like what I hair. have in my mind when I think <laughs> about like a British, like a British professor. He feels like the epitome of this like energetic British professor. Yeah. Um, I just love the fact that he could not he could not be quiet about Yo. the Gospel of John. He um, also couldn't it, stop smiling. I, mean, I know. Yeah, I wish our listeners could have seen uh, his face, and hopefully you can hear it in his voice. But he's a, he is a joyful man. Um, yeah, I I was. It's not just that he knows a lot about the Gospel of John, or that he really likes the Gospel of John as like this academic subject. But I really felt like we were together encountering Jesus through yes. his reflections on the Gospel of John. Yep. Like it was a spiritual. I don't want to get too, I don't know, weird, but it was a spiritual experience to be with him mm-hmm. and yes. to and to reflect on this text that, I guess, you know, it shouldn't surprise us that biblical text is, you know, in our theology is, is meant to be the way that God comes to us and speaks to us and becomes present to us. And, and so I just sensed that to be true while we were talking. Yep. Yeah, it actually made me think you guys can... This might not be a fully formed thought, but this is what I was thinking um, as he was talking. Somebody recently asked me, like, how am, how do I inspire people? That was like the question that they hmm. asked me. And I was like, that was a weird, hard question because I don't really want to be the one that inspires people. I want people to see me and interact with me and somehow see Jesus. And that sounds super spiritual, but I feel like we just witnessed that hmm. with David Ford. Like yeah. he did inspire and encourage me to um, to understand my belovedness, to, to love mm-hmm. Jesus more fully, to, to know him. It was because I was seeing Jesus in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Just a and delightful I, conversation. I think for many of our listeners, too, I think a lot of us grew up with regimented or um, other kinds of experiences reading scripture, and now it's sometimes hard for many of our listeners to read scripture. And I think that one of the things that David's commentary in our interview with him is doing, uh, I pray as you're listening, is giving you new, fresh uh, hope that you can encounter the resurrected Christ in the scriptures and that maybe there's joy and life and love and peace and goodness and strength that's available there. And I, I get that I'm treading on yeah, it's kind of sacred ground here, right? Because I think a lot of us, um, a lot of us experience harm or or past hurt in in what we commonly think of as spiritual disciplines. Um, and I'm right. just I'm committed personally to finding people like David Ford who can help me walk all the way through that hurt into into hope. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's into a better way. Yeah, a better way of reading. 
it, it yep. takes a while to unwind. It takes a while to unwind some of that stuff, and and we really do need help um, mm-hmm. because you know the the lenses that we've read these the scriptures through in the past, like you, those are the only ones you have until you have new ones until somebody presents you with something new. Um, which is why I was I really loved what he was talking about with, um, when he talked about that um, those what are those groups called the scriptural reasoning groups yeah scriptural reasoning um, <clears throat> yeah I think that that has been I mean I, th- this this encounter with, um, with with David I think was was one of these times but this has happened mm-hmm. to me in, at other times when I've had people like from way outside my own tradition or way outside my social uh, location or experience. Uh, read a text with me and normally this doesn't happen like in person but it's a you know I'm reading someone else's reflections on a text hmm. um, but that oftentimes really really helps me to kind of get outside the, the frames and the lenses that I feel trapped in like every time I come to the scriptures I just you know I can only read it a certain way but hearing from someone who has an, an experience outside of mine and how they read it and what it sounds like to them can oftentimes just do a lot to free me up to be able to yeah, encounter encounter God in the scriptures in, in a fresh way. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm glad you were here uh, with us, yeah. listeners. Glad you're able to be with us. And this was a Gravity Commons yeah. live podcast, and we had a little conversation afterwards. David shared some uh, extemporaneous uh, prophetic words. I mean, it was, it was great. So if, if you... <laughs> It basically was. It was crazy, it, right? It was great. I mean, it was it was great. So, um, if you've been thinking about joining Gravity Commons um, and would like to access to that and much more, uh, you can check it out: gravityleadership.com/commons. It's twenty five bucks a month, super cheap. You can support the podcast, be a part of a growing community of people who, yeah, want get to spend fun, cool time with David. You know, so yeah, yeah. all right, and and, and other and stuff. And get prepared for your sermon. As yes. It was yeah, yes. that's right. That's right. You're, you're getting some sermon prep. I kind of wish I was my my passage for this coming week was from the Gospel of John. So Maybe we sorry, set about it me. up like that. Yeah, no, Figure oh. out what we're preaching, then invite Who's... a guest to come and talk about it. <laughs> oh gosh, invite a guest Just to kidding. write our sermons for us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Man. Hey, I feel, all right, friends. I feel like I need to own something with you guys. Um, I, I've I've been sort of uh, ending our podcast lately with jokes. I don't know if you yes. noticed that. It's true. Um, and I've noticed true. it. I've noticed Have you? it. I know Christy Have you? has. Um, so, but I, but I want to pat myself on the back a bit because who else is going to do it? That I, I, uh, I haven't Not told me. any poop. Not joke. me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told any poop jokes. Have you noticed? I, not until I, you said that I didn't notice. Do you know? Do you know? know that was... Do you know why I haven't told any poop jokes? Why haven't you told any poop jokes because on poop, the podcast? Because poop jokes are not my favorite jokes. Okay. But they're a solid number two. Oh. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> truly. <laughs> truly you have a problem. <laughs> Get help. Get help. <laughs> The pause was like, I was like, where? I don't, where? No, where is he going with this? Okay. <laughs> okay. <And laughs> um. <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> Sorry, I feel like I'm starting to get any consent to tell these jokes. I, I don't know if I'm doing any kind of irreparable damage to our friendship. Who, 
stop recording. No more recording. Well, we'll we'll stop this one now. Here we go. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.